guys. Hey, everybody. Hey. Uh, welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. I don't even know what episode we're on yet. What is it? 50-something? I don't know. Something like that. 58, 59. We're here, though, and we're ready to talk about something weird and interesting and strange like we do every week. Yeah. James, Alex, how are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. You know, it's a Monday, so things can only be so good. And there's a pandemic still, so yeah, yeah. they moved yeah. the the flipping derby to Labor Day. I saw that. I, oh, that is really? just crazy. Like it's like moving Christmas to July or something. It's all right. We can get like some snails and have them race, or some turtles. Yeah, we'll go. just it'll be way more interesting anyway. Yeah, we'll yeah. have some fun with turtles. <laughs> did we even properly introduce ourselves when we got on this podcast episode? I don't think no. we did. Okay, well, I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. We're extending hugs to you. Uh, No, not in the quarantine season. Yeah, that's true. Not in the quarantine season. Virtual hugs. (laughs) If you've been listening to us for a while, we're sending you hugs, too, because you you totally deserve it. So, this. (laughs) Thanks for listening, people. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, we hope that you will share it with your friends. I know that we're all kind of stuck in our houses right now. You know what? When you're when you're uh, cleaning your house, just pop on an episode and tell your mom and your dad, your best friend and your cousin to pop on an episode too while yeah. they mop their floors and dust their furniture. Mm. Uh, you know what? I think it's time for our quote-unquote icebreaker, but you guys, we're not going to do an icebreaker this week. I figured we kind of stray from that for a minute. Hmm. Yeah, by the way, we need to come up with a better name than Icebreaker. It makes me feel like I'm in third grade. <sighs> we need to yeah, come. now that we've made it this far into the podcast, yeah, it's only, time to change things. We're only like 58 <laughs> episodes in, it doesn't matter. Okay, so instead of doing an Icebreaker, I'm going to ask you guys some trivia questions, and I want to see how well both of you guys know about space. Because James, what are we talking about today in our episode? Something, something space. Yeah, we're, we're talking about... The possibilities of life in space. And this subject was submitted to us by Maggie. So, you guys, we're in for a great episode. Yeah. Let's let's do it. All right. So, here's here's your first question, you guys. And I got these questions off of a website called theplanets.org. Visit it. It's pretty cool, actually. So, number one, what is the hottest planet in our solar system? Jupiter. Jupiter's uh, James. What's your guess? Mm, I feel like Jupiter is what I would have gone with. I want to go with Venus. Ooh, ding, 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 yeah, Alex is say. right. Ah, uh, man, I wasn't thinking about how inhospitable Venus is. Yes, it's pretty. It's nuts. It's four hundred fifty degrees Celsius for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, I almost said I almost said calcium. It, it <laughs> four hundred fifty oh, degrees man. calcium. AKA 842 degrees Fahrenheit. That's wow. pretty hot. And it's not, it's the second planet from the sun, but Mercury doesn't have an atmosphere. So it has huge temperature fluctuations, whereas mm. Venus can keep all that heat right on in there. Well, uh, this is, this has already gone how I didn't expect it. Yeah. I'm better than James. Yeah. Alex is <laughs> one notch on his stick. Okay. So well, not okay. Question number two. Mm. When will Halley's Comet orbit Earth next? Ooh. Let's see. Mark Twain, 18 something, 10 years. 10 years. Uh, I'm going to say 
23 years. 23 years? Well, you know, I can't really do math, but the next time it's supposed to pass, I was looking for like a guess, uh-huh. is 2061. Uh-huh. So, Price is Right rules. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, ding, ding, ding. But it's uh, apparently <laughs> the last time it passed Earth was in 1986, which, by the way, got me really angry. Like, I'm really kind of salty about that because for some reason I was under the impression that I was alive when Haley's Comet passed Earth. Mm. Well, next time it'll collide with us, probably. So maybe yeah. it's maybe I made it's that up. a Mandela effect. Yeah. All right, yeah. you guys ready for question number three? Yeah. There's a planet within the Cancer constellation that mm. might be made of a precious gem. What precious gem? Diamond. Uh, it's too obvious, James. Too obvious. It's clearly. <laughs> <laughs> what turquoise turquoise right. <laughs> james guessed diamond alex guessed turquoise james you've got a notch on your stick now diamond it's a diamond oh yeah. that seems so obvious it's uh, carbon though yeah it's made of diamonds and graphite mm. Ooh, it's 55 concrete i don't even know how to say the name of this planet but it's out there okay Last question. Hmm. How much does a NASA spacesuit cost? Oh. oh. Yeah. Well, this is government cost. spending, so let's jack it up. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you think it is, it's five times more. All right. James, what's your guess? Uh, 1.3 million. 1.3 million. I would, I would say like 6 million. 6 million? You know, if we're playing... Price is right, Alex. You are the winner. Oh my wow. god! Trivia competition. It costs twelve million dollars. Yeah, that's so crazy. The, the most expensive parts on the spacesuit are apparently the backpack and the control module, accounting for seventy percent of the overall cost. Wow! This. So, needless to say, I will not be owning a NASA spacesuit anytime soon. Well, maybe you hit it big. Yeah, maybe if I win the lottery, that'll be the first thing I buy. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> you won't have money long. Those are your decisions. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, that's just a little space trivia for you guys. Wow, very interesting. I learned new things today. Yeah, thank you for playing the game with me, listener 13th Floor. I hope that you enjoyed the, the game and that you were able to guess along, too. Huh. Yeah. That was fun. That, that was, was fun. Yeah, we might need to start doing that more. Yeah, we can do it occasionally. I think it'd be really fun. Maybe we can alternate who does it so some people like myself can guess everyone's <laughs> I, I assumed that was who was hoping to be included. Yes. Okay, are we ready to hop on into the topic? The silence said it all. All right, here we go. So I'm going to be the first person talking today. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about the Kepler mission. Okay, so... I got lots of my research from Business Insider, like the leading source on space news, Business Insider. Yes, that one. And you also, need to know whether to invest in rocket fuel or not. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, also, a video from NASA on the Kepler mission, and it was made in 2009. It looks like it was made in like 1990. It felt like it was way old. Well, it had all that... Had that like space music, like you know what I mean? Like the yeah. kind of spacey music. But anyways, oh, and also I have one bone to pick with the internet. Oh, when it oh, comes here to this, comes. this topic, the one thing to talk about, um, about the internet. Google. Mm. If an article is only available for magazine subscribers, 
Oh. Don't show it to me. Don't show it to me. How do you get that sweet Google? Yeah, cache? National Geographic gets me hooked on an article with the first paragraph, and then you scroll past the first paragraph, and something pops up, and it says, "Pay to read the rest." And I'm like, uh, this is, "Yeah, no, uh, yeah. this is misleading." If you, if I'm not able to read it, just don't let me read it. Like, yeah, I understand it's, it's supposed to help you get subscribers, but yeah, yeah. I'm not buying. Uh, if anything, it just that's made why me I'm angry. Back out when I go somewhere else, exactly. Yeah, so, we, we get it, Google. You got a you got a processor called Adreno. You got a browser called Chrome, and you gotta gotta cool it with those ads. Yes, <laughs> but because of that, National Geographic, I went to Business Insider. So, all right, y'all, talking about the Kepler Space Telescope and how it's helped with the search for possible life on other planets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kepler is no longer in commission because it ran out of fuel. Womp womp. But <laughs> it was launched, and this got me really excited, and I think that this is probably why I was drawn to this topic, like, without even knowing it. <laughs> but it was launched on March 7th, 2009, my birthday. Oh, you were born in 2009? No. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> March 7th. And it searched for exoplanets, which are planets outside of our solar system, by using something called the transit method. Hey, you guys know what the transit method is? It's called moving towards it. <laughs> moving towards it? Well, I already know James knows what the transit me- method is, so I'm not even going to ask him. But the transit method involves watching a star and detecting any dips in brightness that might indicate that a planet is crossing in front of it. In transit. Yeah. Yeah, it's in transit. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and to put it into perspective, like the magnitude of this telescope, how awesome it was. Someone at NASA described Kepler's work like looking at a car's headlight in the distance (laughs) and trying to make when a flea crosses across it, mm, the headlight. Yeah. Mm. So that's how crazy awesome the Kepler was. But Kepler was very accurate, obviously. And during its lifetime, Kepler discovered about 4,000 exoplanets and 4,000 plus exoplanets that need a little more observation before being confirmed. And based upon its data, scientists think there could be up to 10 billion Earth-like planets in the universe. Sounds like a made-up number, but yeah, sure. That's a lot. And this is another thing that I learned on the theplanets.org is that it's impossible to count how many stars there are in the galaxy, in the yeah. universe. Well, yeah. 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 It makes sense. Uh, wait, but... We have some ideas to how many, though, and, and you know what's really shocking? What? You have more connections between your neurons than there are stars in the universe. Whoa, James. Yeah. Hitting us with the, the heavy, heavy facts right there. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've met a few individuals. That might be a, <laughs> that might be a question. <laughs> but you guys, there are a lot of planets out there. Um, but I think that it would be naive to expect Earth to be the only one of these possible 10 billion planets to possibly have life. That's just my philosophy yeah. on like in general. In general? Like, how is there no other life just in general? I mean, even if like... There only needs to be one other planet like this, and it would probably have life. Yeah, yeah, and there are there are yeah. a lot of planets out there that have a good potential of mm. being like Earth. Yep. But anyways, when trying to determine if a planet could possibly sustain life, scientists are looking for a distance far enough from the planet's star with a surface temperature that could allow for liquid water. Mm. Yeah. So, like Earth, we're the perfect distance away from the sun 
any closer and we'd be too hot like Venus because you guys know how hot Venus is. I just told you. Mm-hmm. And then any further away and we'd be too cold like Mars, which the average temperature on Mars is minus 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That's, that's why you strap rockets onto that planet and you push it where you want it to go. <laughs> you push it, <laughs> push it into our spot. But Earth is in the habitable zone, a.k.a. the Goldilocks zone, which yeah, I love that yeah. term, the mm-hmm. Goldilocks zone. So... There are several planets that scientists believe have the best chance of sustaining life in some shape or sort. K218b, for instance. Y'all ever heard of K218b? Oh, that's my favorite one. I love that place, yeah. Yeah. So they have actually found K218b to have water vapor. One of my Mm. favorite things, because I love drinking water. But it also has... You love water vapor? You just like (laughs) steam some water and you just hold your mouth over it? (laughs) Sleets. Yeah, exactly. And it also afterwards, my pores are just looking refined. Oh, yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it also has an atmosphere, K218B. But I've got some bad news about life on K218B, you guys. Eradicated in the Fourth Great War. <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. atmosphere is rich in hydrogen. So it's very gassy and it might make it difficult for life to thrive. Uh, rock. Well, underneath. The rock. I don't know. Hollow Earth. It's a good question. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But another possible exoplanet capable of supporting life is Kepler 22b. Yeah. Yeah. Scientists say it could possibly be an ocean world with Earth like temperatures, which is pretty awesome if you think about it. But it's so far away that it's difficult to tell how it's it's difficult to tell much about the planet just because it's so far away. Other than we do know that it's tilted on its axis. The way it spins keeps half the world in darkness and half of it in light for at least half a year. Uh, sounds lame. Sounds dark. Sounds like the perfect place for vampires to live. Yeah, probably. It sounds scary. Mermaid vampires. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, Kepler 22b is 620 light years away from us. And do you guys know how long it would actually take to travel a light year? Depends on how fast you're traveling. Oh, uh... <laughs> We're talking space shuttle fast. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, let's see. A <laughs> uh, couple of lifetimes. <laughs> 350 years. Oh, oh my God, Alex. Uh, you, you, you would lose in this Price is Right Oh, Oh, sorry. Today. One year. Oh. <laughs> According- <laughs> one year. One year if you're going to speed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. According oh, to futurism.com, it would take 37,200 years to go one light year. Yeah. Alex is looking at me like, what? Yeah, no, I would have yeah. won. I would have won prices right. No, James guessed. James guessed. A couple of my lifetimes. Yeah, well, how many? You said triple your lifetimes? I said a couple of my lifetimes. <laughs> oh, well, that's, this is the thing about that, James. We don't know how old you actually are. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> all right, well, a light year is about <laughs> six trillion miles away. Uh. <laughs> now... I know Kepler's done with its mission. R.I.P. Kepler. Kep, Kep. My cappuccino. <laughs> but it has been succeeded by the transitioning exoplanet survey satellite, a.k.a. TESS. Mm. Plus, there are more telescopes that are slated to be put up into the skies, mm. uh, including NASA's James Webb Space Telescope that's due out in 2021, so a year from now, hopefully. And then the European Southern Observatory's very scientifically named, quote, extremely large telescope. That sounds like one of those names that, like, 
uh, people vote for like on a local team. Telescope and telescope. And then like do you get the yeah, like you get like the kid submission and everybody votes for that. Well, that one's expected to be finished in twenty twenty five. If you guys had a telescope, what would you name it? <laughs> Scopey. Scopey. No, no. Three sixty no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Alex. Scope a dope. Scope a dope. <laughs> I don't know what I'd, I would name my telescope. Roposcope. Roposcope? No, I would name it the looky thing. Oh. Yes. That's pretty good. That's very Monty Python. Yeah, I'm glad. Okay, so just one more random thing before I let James talk. And this is something that like throughout my research, I was like, I wonder how loud was the Big Bang when it actually occurred? Do you guys know? More of a... Yes. It was uh, utter. It was utterly inaudible because space doesn't travel uh, sound waves. Yeah, it's silent in space, so yeah. nobody could hear it. They said, if anything, it might have been a hum, but it wouldn't have been audible to the. So human it'd be ear. more like a big flash. Really, it's not a big bang because a bang is a sound, so it's like more of a flash. Yeah, yeah exactly. But the big bang, like Assuming that's also something I'm a little salty about. Like, why would why would you name it that when it doesn't bang? <laughs> or I don't know the scientists that. Uh, named the Big Bang. Maybe his last name was Bang. Maybe it was. It was actually a priest. I can't remember his name, though. A priest. Oh, Father yeah. Bang. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> mm. oh, no. oh, here he goes. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it'll be five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. Let's. We're going to have to wait one second while Alex composes himself. <laughs> Alex, Alex, you're, you know who you remind me of on this podcast? You were like the Tobias Funke of the 13th Floor podcast. Yes. Saying things without even realizing what is coming out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. All right. Well, James, we're going to we're going to hand the torch off to you. What are you talking about today? I'm talking about uh, two things. I'm talking about human uh, or sorry, uh, anthropomorphic convergence, uh, which um, I don't know how I forgot that because I made it up, and uh, Europa. So uh, I'll start off with uh, Europa. Wait, you made that up? Yeah, he made yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I coined I coined the term. I didn't come up with the the, the notion. Um, so anyway, Europa is probably the most likely candidate in our solar system for life. And when I say life, I don't mean little green men. I mean, just single-celled or potentially multicellular life that evolved completely separate from Earth. And that's what's interesting about it is like, for example, the microbes that we have found on Mars, we believe to have originated on Earth. Whereas in the case of Europa, it's very plausible that there are organisms that originated completely independent of whatever happened that you know, led to us knocking around. Okay. And what what's really cool about Europa, uh, which by the way, Europa, I, I've had Europa on the brain. Um, it's one of the four Galilean moons that are orbiting Jupiter, which just means the big moons, because those are the ones Galileo saw with his little homemade telescope. Oh. And what's really cool about Europa is that it is covered in water and over the water is ice. And then the surface itself is more like silicate rock and it's covered in cracks and craters and that cra- those cracks and craters are filled with water. There's even underground water. And so 
all of that is just environmentally, uh, which includes potentially oxygenated water, means that there's very likely something could could exist there. Whatever it is, it would have to be vastly different from us. And that's kind of why I chose that as a topic, because it's a really good counterpoint to the uh, anthropomorphic convergence. So what would an organism look like if it lived on a cold, dark ocean planet? And when I say cold, I'm talking like cryo geysers, <laughs> like literally geysers that, that shoot out ice. Mull that over for a minute. A wampa. Yeah. <laughs> a wampa. <laughs> um, I'm thinking whatever it is, first of all, its metabolism would have to eat, be uh, like based on chemicals, kind of like the deep sea vents that, you know, uh, we've talked about it before. There's, we know less about our oceans than we do space. Well, there are deep sea vents in uh, our own oceans that are so f- cold and so far from any reasonable food source you know again everything on this planet that we see day-to-day is solar powered so anything down there is basically chemical powered and so you have like little white hairy crabs that live next to these vents and they eat the chemical compounds that are emitted by those uh, deep sea vents basically like sulfur compounds and things like that and they use it as their food source it would be something similar so if there was life on europa these these europeans would have to be something similar to a a deep sea invertebrate, like maybe a crab or a slug. In other words, it would be poikilothermic. It would live off of synthetic chemicals because it would have no means of getting nutrients from the sun, so that means no plants. Um, it would probably be an invertebrate just because of the conditions, and, and that's assuming that it's not single-celled. So... Crab people. In other words, think about the things you would <laughs> think about the things that you would see at the very, very, very bottom of the ocean. That's something that you could expect to see on Europa. Mm. Now that leads me to anthropomorphic convergence, which, like I said, it's a word that I made up to describe this phenomenon that's that's purely theoretical right now. But well, let me ask you this: um, Have you guys ever heard? And this is why I coined the term. You guys ever heard of convergent evolution? I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it. No worries. Is it just okay. where, I'm just kind of guessing, is it where, I guess, different species all kind of adopt similar traits? A, a perfect, perfect description. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. And a good example that I can think of, at least, is the Megalodon, the big old shark, the scary one in all the yeah. movies, which was real, and the Great White, because they look like just the Megalodon is just a bigger version of the great white, but they're not even remotely related. They're, they're very distant from each other. So the fact that they just look like a scale model of one another is just because they happen to evolve under similar circumstances and whatever was advantageous for one was advantageous for the other. Hmm. And we see this with uh, flying insects, flying insects have evolved wings like multiple times uh, just because turns out when you're small, being able to fly is important. You know, it's it's harder to find resources. It's harder to find a mate, et cetera, if you're tiny and you can't fly. So that's something that's happened. Well, anthropomorphic convergence, what I mean by that is there's a lot of people who think that mm, spacefaring life, intelligent life, life capable of creating a civilization wouldn't be like Star Wars so much as it would be like Star Trek. 
because it just so happens that they think, and I, I tend to agree, I think it's very plausible, that if you want to be a tool-building uh, species, which would in turn lead to having a civilization, which in turn would lead to having the technology to explore the stars, being shaped like us happens to be really useful. So let's let's look at the advantages. If you're bipedal, that means you have two limbs that you can make use to interact with your environment with, which is what we do. And if you have digits, especially opposable thumbs like we do, then you can craft tools really easily. If you were shaped like a slug or a tentacle monster, <laughs> it would be a lot harder to do those sorts of things. So in other words, anthropomorphic convergence is the idea that life if it evolves, even on other worlds, if it's going to evolve to have a society, we live in a society. If it's going to evolve to have a society, then it would be very useful if it was a certain height, if it had two limbs that it used to walk around or perambulate, and had two other limbs that it used to interact with the environment, and that those limbs terminated in little digits that it could use to manipulate tools. So in other words, it would look a lot like us. So it's kind of funny that people criticize Star Trek because they're like, oh, all the aliens just look like people with funny foreheads. Well, they might be right on the money with that. But uh, it's funny you said crab people earlier, Alex, because there's two species that I've seen on Earth that I can also imagine being useful for a spacefaring species. Crab people and lizard people. Uh, well, I was going to say crab people <laughs> and squid people, but yeah. Um, there is actually a phenomenon called cancrification. Which, you know, a lot of people think that uh, hermit crabs are crabs and spider crabs are crabs and those, those big giant crabs are crabs. They're not. Coconut crabs, they're not crabs. It just, they just happen to look like crabs. And the reason why is it's a useful shape. It's extremely, it's mm. co convergent evolution has never happened so much than with animals that look like a flipping crab. And the reason huh. is it's useful. It's very useful. Like, let's start with the, the overall shape. Armored. Low to the ground. Well, that minimizes accidents. Lots of legs that can regenerate. That's also a handy trait. Claws that can manipulate their environment, kind of like our digits do. Also good. Protected eyes that kind of dart in and out of the body. Also good. Pseudo lungs or pseudo gills, so you can kind of deal with, you know, wet or dry environments. Also great. Mandibles, so you can eat just about anything. Crabs eat just about anything. So it's a really useful shape. There's crabs all over the planet that aren't really crabs. So wow. the idea that something could evolve like that and become a spacefaring race or at the very least civilized, yeah, totally. Yeah, we need a, we need a Victorian drama in an alternate world where it's just like the Victorian age. It's very dramatic, but everybody's a crab. Wow, James, <laughs> James let's, let's write that. That's awesome. Um, let's write that. And also uh, cephalopods. The, the reason why cephalopods, I think, haven't already taken over is because they have crazy short lifespans. They have a programmed death. Uh, after they reproduce, they just die so they don't compete with the next generation. But uh, I think that if something with cephalopod traits, with tentacles that could manipulate their environment and the axons that they have, the, the, one of the reasons why cephalopods are so smart, squid, cuttlefish, nautilus, octopus, is because the layout of their nerves, these big, long axons that go through their arms that allow them to independently do things, it, it kind of takes away a lot of the processing power that their, their main brain has to do. So even though they're a mollusk, even though they're related to snails, 
They're incredibly intelligent. So if something evolved similar traits on another world, I can see it also if there wasn't any of that program death and then they could pass information on from one generation to the next, I could see it turning into a, uh, a sentient spacefaring race as well. Hmm. See, that was, that was, this was my biggest question. We drew this topic out of the vase was what would life on other planets be like? And James, uh, you just answered like my question. Oh, thank you. Crab yeah. people. Yeah. Crab people. Crab Alex people. is really rooting for the crab people. <laughs> James wants the cephalopods. I don't yeah. really care. I love them all. Okay. James, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Or is it Alex's time to talk about the wow signal? I think it's time to talk about the wow signal. All right, Alex, wow us with your research. Yeah, so I did most of my research on earthsky.org and live science. And I did my own, like you already spoiled for everybody, the unexplained phenomenon called the wow signal. Wow. (laughs) Which which was uh, recorded by... Ohio State's Big Ear Radio Telescope in 1977. And it was such a monumental moment that the location has been deemed an Ohio historical landmark. And although unoperational today, it's still perfectly preserved. Kidding. It's now part of a golf course. Uh, (laughs) A golf course? Yeah, it was completely disassembled in 1998 when a golf course bought it and tore it down. (laughs) <laughs> you know, elites like to golf, and lizard people are accused of being elites. Maybe the lizard people got rid of it so they yeah. could play their precious space game mm. golf. Shame. This is a clear through line. <laughs> that would be the ultimate conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But let's go back to that oh-so-precious history of the big year. It, it was created in – it took five years to put it together. And so it was completed in 1961 – and then, and I don't really understand this, but they didn't turn it on for two more years. Wow. Until they just like look at it like in- Yeah, I guess they're just like, wow, this is beautiful. Like maybe it's like <laughs> maybe it's like when you get this action figure, you don't want to open it because it ruins its value. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> or like a used car, like once you turn it on, it loses its value, you can't sell it back. So <laughs> I'm not really sure, but it wasn't really even until 1971 when they finished this project called the ohio sky survey and after that that this little project is when the good stuff happens yeah and once that project was completed then they started their search for aliens and it was the longest running and still is the longest running search for extraterrestrial intelligence project that there has ever been from 1973 to 1995. They searched for extraterrestrial life. Well, you said it was still going on at the golf course. No, no, no. 1973 to 1995. It was the longest running. It's not still going on. Okay. So, okay. So it was the longest running. It's still the longest running. Yes. It's still, yes. I misspoke. But yeah, it's still the longest running. Okay. But early on in its life, during this, uh, it's called a SETI project, S-E-T-I, Search mm-hmm. for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Okay, yeah. I get it. So, in 1977, the signal occurred. And the signal was this, what I pictured to be, because I heard it was called a wow signal, so I pictured it to be like the bloop, where it's an actual bloop sound. Except it goes, wow. Yeah, except for, for this one, it goes, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Unfortunately, God. 
no luck. And it turns out that it's actually uh, Jerry R. It, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Emin. Uh, like the most unenthusiastic last name. E-H-M-A-M. Emin. Jerry F. Jerry R. Emin. <laughs> but it turns out that he just wrote wow with an exclamation mark on the paper that he made this discovery on, on August 15th. What's interesting is that he was just volunteering over there. And he was going through by hand through data that was produced by an old IBM 1130 computer. Which he's, which is when he stumbled upon this, going through it by hand. Now, I don't know enough about the science to of like all of this to give you a deep dive into the semantics of his discovery. But what I can tell you is that many people still consider this the single strongest piece of evidence that we have of an alien radio transmission. It's like widely, this is like, this is the best proof we have so far. So, uh, like, what was the significance? We just received a signal. So, essentially, the, what it did was operate on 72 second intervals. Okay. And it's due to the rotation of the earth and other stuff that I don't understand. James might know more about the 72 second interval thing. But during the 72 second interval, the wave peaks it goes up and down just like it should during rotation Mm -hmm. so during rotation to 72 seconds it's gonna have a bell curve Mm -hmm. and it sure enough it does it now the problem is is it's never been able to been replicated even uh emin himself has said that when they went to try to look for it again he said something about 50 times there is a little bit of evidence that he thought maybe it could be an Earth-sourced signal. So essentially it came from somewhere else on Earth instead of space. Mm-hmm. Now, later on, he kind of walked that back and was like, eh, you know, I don't really think anything sufficiently explains the signal coming from here. It kind of seems unrealistic. But he kind of walks it back one more time uh, in 1997 and he thinks that a lot of people are drawing conclusions from this with interesting data, but kind of half-baked data. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is that he just he thinks it's possible that someone like the military could be using a signal like that in this area instead of an alien. Well, we all know the military's got some stuff in their sleeves. Yeah, so it could have been maybe a military-based thing, but... A lot of people have been trying to disprove this thing for a long time, and no one's really come up with a great explanation. What a lot of people thought might be the best explanation came in 2017 by a guy named Antonio Paris. Apparently, he's he's this uh, teacher from Florida, and he proposed that there's like this hydrogen cloud surrounding two different comets that were in the relative area. The first one is 266P Christensen. And then 335P Gibbs. And now it's known that, yeah, these were in similar areas. And a lot of people took this as he had definitive proof that these that these comets were the things that were emitting these signals. Now, the problem with that is, is that, A, a lot of other astronomers don't think that those were in the exact right area at the time. Mm. After looking like going back and through the data. Now, the other problem is, is most astronomers don't think that the comets emit this type of frequency. 
when they're traveling. So the best shot at explaining this thing pretty quickly went up in smoke, like over the course of like six months of people really being like, uh, I don't know. Like even the big ear researchers, including uh, eh, men, um, <laughs> they were all like, no, this doesn't work. And as I just said, Emmons pretty critical of his own work. Yeah, like he he's willing to to accept other explanations, and he's not mm. just like all in on this alien thing. Yeah. So, I think that this is proof that there's other life. Yeah, this is it in the universe. This is what's convinced Alex. This one seventy-two wow. second moment. I'm 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 kidding. I mean, I still oh. think there's life otherwhere. I, I've always said that there's other life otherwhere because what are the chances? And that was some dry sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So pretty cool. That is the wow, wow signal. <laughs> signal. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I, I just wow. it's a pretty short story, but it's I like that no one can seem to explain the thing thoroughly. Yeah. Except for James, wow. he can explain everything. I bet James, right, James? knows something. And yeah. here's James yeah. explaining why the wow signal. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that was that was me when I crashed here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 1977. You're much younger than I thought. Oh, I guess you could have been traveling yeah. for a while. He's traveling for yeah. a while. He, a couple well, of light he, years. He was born on Earth, and then he left Earth, oh. and then he came back. <laughs> but yeah, no, no one's been able to repeat the signal since. Not a single mm. time. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, some have gotten some similar things, but nothing's the same. Well, mm. so you guys, you guys think that the possibility of life on other planets is pretty high, right? Yes, at the very oh, yeah. least, single yeah. cell organisms. Now, crab people. Yeah. Mm, mm. I don't know. James, the real, the real challenge is, yeah, the real challenge is if they. They do send a signal like that. Is it, you know, how long has it been? Yeah. That's that's the real problem. It's not, is there life out there? It's, is there a way for life to simultaneously exist all over the place and communicate with each other? Yeah. And, and that, because, that's yeah. something that they actually kind of tried to, they tried to respond. I think it was, uh, I'll off my head, I think it was like late 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. And they tried to respond by sending out a, uh, broadcast from here with oh no it wasn't late 90s it was like earlier like maybe a couple of years ago so because they sent out ago. they sent out tweets tweets <laughs> oh no I know. it's gonna be interstellar war over that <laughs> yeah so apparently in 2012 it was they decided to send out <laughs> these tweets and a couple ads but all the tweets were marked with this hashtag uh Hashtag chasing UFOs, which was apparently a this whole th- the whole endeavor was sponsored by National Geographic. They were just trying to get some subscribers because CC wouldn't sign up. Yeah, I wouldn't sign up for their <laughs> monthly subscription. But yeah, they apparently had like various celebrities sending like <laughs> video vignettes to these aliens, and it's like uh. it's like. Can we really like just like trash make this place trashy as possible? Like yeah. now, now instead of looking like this beautiful blue planet. Now we look like like a bunch of rednecks sitting like where in the world? <laughs> We're just kind of oh man, yeah. They're gonna see they're gonna see this transmission and say, oh, you know what? Let's turn around and go home. I'm not interested. Anymore. Yeah, they just sit like oh yeah. God. Hashtag Miley Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Well, that's 
that's a lot of interesting information. You guys have anything else you want to add before we draw the topic? Think- oh, no, Alice, Alice is oh, done. Oh, I'm he sorry. Just, I don't know. Reached right in. I can't even wait. All right, what are we talking about next week? Ancient civilizations. Ancient Ooh. civilizations. James, why don't you just tell us about all the places you've lived? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, this topic was submitted to us by my, my good old friend, Nick Yu. Nick? Oh, <laughs> I haven't talked to him in a while. I hope he's doing well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's been a fun one. We got a little crazy up in here with aliens, but... Yeah, next week, James, I can't wait to listen to you walk us through one of your sacrificial rituals that you had to perform back in some of your civilizations. Uh, I didn't perform them. They were performed to me. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Alex, who does our music? Our music is uh, by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, Amazon Music, anywhere you listen to music. All right, 13 Floriers. Until next time, we hope that you can keep Keep it it strange. strange.